and welcome to the Salakas end of season review 2020-21. So welcome um, to the podcast. So we've got a couple of guests on as normal. Um, so we've got Mike. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm all right. Yep. Yeah. Trying to remember anything that happened this season. Will be, yeah, <laughs> it's been a long job. one. And then, yeah, welcome, Lewis. How are you doing? Hi, Ollie. Hi. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. And hi, Mike and Glenn. How are you doing, Glenn? So looking forward to this one. It's, um, yeah, going back a long way, looking at some of these results, <laughs> some of these player names I've even forgotten about. Um, so, yeah, should be a good one. Yeah, this season seems to have been a season that lasted two years. There's so much gone on, um, good and bad and, you know, horrific when you think about the COVID stuff. It's been a, a crazy season, a very different season not being in the ground as we've obviously been talking about all season Ollie and um yeah one where you know it's it, it's it, it'll need, need a little bit of unpacking um but yeah I think more of a sign towards the future really as we get towards the end of this podcast but yeah and I know you know right up front Ollie I suppose you've got one question on ask Lewis Stroh haven't you because uh, we've got a chance to talk to him this season now yeah so um it's been an odd season Lewis I actually did a bit of a boring task and went back and counted how many midweek games we've had so in a normal season, um, so going back to 2018-19, we had nine midweek games. This season, we had 18, and it was relentless, wasn't it? And yeah, I guess for you, Lewis, obviously those double game weeks, obviously the month off almost in January, and also yeah. obviously interested, I think the fans were really interested. What was it like being uh, you know, one of the only people at the stadium? Like, was it in some ways, was it quite good? You're not having fans there or you know, a bit, bit easier to park? Uh, it was, yeah, yeah, the parking was brilliant, don't get me wrong. But um, that was, I would say, the only highlight. Yeah, it was maybe it was intriguing at Middlesbrough, which was game number one. But then it quickly became hellish. Really, it was really not enjoyable. I kept, I kept wanting to tweet fans saying, "Don't worry, don't worry, you're not missing anything." You know, and then <laughs> I wish we could be here, but obviously that's the point, isn't it? You know, if one fan was there, they'd, they'd realise how how dreadful it is. And we've all seen all season on telly, you know, and whatnot, how how terrible football is about fans. And you guys have seen on iFollow. It was just strange. And the sad thing was after a handful, half a dozen games, we just became used to it. And now it's going to be quite strange for us seeing, seeing ground, you know, full grounds again when that happens, hopefully in August. It's, that's going to become odd. It was a surreal experience. And yeah, I mean, previous to that, the only empty games you'd see are training games, if ever you got invited. EFL trophy games? Friendly? Well, yeah, yeah, trophy games. <laughs> you know, even that, you know, there's cheering for a goal yeah. and stuff. You know, a Shropshire Senior Cup game when there's only like 400 there or whatever. But yeah, it was um, it was quite depressing, really. And mm. it was, it felt like Groundhog Day. I said that all season, just in terms of obviously, like you say, that the volume of games coming right after each other. I guess because there's no fans, they, they, they merged into one more. You kind of forgot who you were against. And it was like, oh, you know, we're back at the meadow. You know, oh, we're still 17th, not moving in the table. We did a live pod and we didn't realise that um, Roshan Williams was playing for 20 minutes because the camera was <laughs> panned. Game. Yeah. We started the game really well and the, the camera didn't really pan to our back line. And then all yeah. of a sudden, to be I was fair, like, whoa, whoa. Shout, shout, shout out to Mark Elliott. I think he was the one to notice that that day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I listened to a bit of it back. Yeah, Mark did spot it early on. We had yeah. it on. Lewis, being at the ground, do you think do you think the lack of fans it had an effect on the players? And how long do you think it took them to get used to playing yeah. behind closed doors? Do you think there was an impact at all? Unquestionably. Um, obviously, the season starting was difficult, wasn't it? So, you know, the way it went with fans in there, you'll know as much as me with the previous manager, perhaps it could have got pretty nasty pretty early with the fans, which is always difficult for players, isn't it, when, when it's like that? And obviously, the, the run of results we had. I mean, fans were saying, weren't they, you know, oh, this wouldn't be acceptable if we were in the stadium. Like, you know, imagine if we're in the stadium, like jeering and chanting, you know, for change, whatever. So perhaps in a perverse way, players had it a, a little bit better at the start when, you know, they, they didn't have the, the angst from, from the mm -hmm. crowd that would have been there because of the way results went. But 
don't get me wrong, regardless of how bad it was going on the pitch or whatever, like the players hated it, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I suppose some of them, I'm not necessarily any shooter players, but some players that they, they don't like the crowd almost, they, they the nerves and the you know, it's it's too much for them. And I think Sam Ricketts said a couple of times some players actually prefer no atmosphere, less nerves and that, but I don't really get that. I think 99, no. 99% of footballers <laughs> want, you know, what it's it's like a train, it's a training game otherwise, isn't it? It's mm. it must have been so hard to motivate themselves. And yeah, you know, we can say yeah, it's still a competitive game for three points, but it's that little bit, isn't it? It's that it's the you do a crunching tackle yeah, yeah. and the fans go and you get like a bit of a second wind. I imagine motivating like, themselves second half was hard, especially yeah. when they weren't very fit. In the same way I, I said we got used to it, maybe as in the media like within five, six games, the players probably got used to it. Think of early games, Portsmouth, Plymouth away. Few we had a few home games in a row, and and then it just became the norm, didn't it? And then we had a little bit where small crowds came. Actually, small crowds were there for the first home game, weren't they? Northampton. Northampton, is, yeah, yeah. Strange to think, really. But then, yeah. like December time, when when they came back for a few a few games, that felt odd. Honestly, that 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 felt strange. We were kind of like, this is weird. Like thinking, about <laughs> how are we going to feel when when there's a full crowd back? So yes. Yeah, Surreal season full of change. That's a good overview, Lewis, of where we're, where we're at in terms of your, your experience. And obviously, we've talked about it. Mike's been on the podcast this this season talking about watching all from streams. And I don't really think we need to go over that again, Ollie. We're, we're happy to contend that to Room 101, aren't we? And never have to watch another town game on the internet um, and hopefully be back next season. But yeah, it was, it's yeah, really I, useful I just, to hear. Just, I was just going to say, sorry. I, I mean, I feel so sorry for you guys, the likes of yourselves and, and the fans that would. You know, I know there are many, many of them, dozens, hundreds that wouldn't miss a game. Go to every every home and away, and their kind of their records have been spoiled almost. I mean, not not by that, <laughs> so you can't really count. You know, I, I mean, I don't think the radio included, maybe even the club included. I don't think there's many, if any, that did as many games as me. I, I missed a few mm. for annual leave, but you know, it, it was difficult and it was a slog. And mm. I know you guys might say, "Oh, it's only watching football or whatever," but yeah, I, I felt almost you feel oh. You know, another game, whatever. Even if it's only a home game, even <laughs> if you haven't travelled, you felt almost guilty, kind of moaning about it. You know, because obviously there's nothing to moan yeah. about. Well, if it if it helps you, Lewis, I didn't mind missing the games because we were so awful, frankly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Some of the performances yes. are so crap. I, I could turn my telly off in my front room and be in my front room and be like, oh, I forget <laughs> about that. Now it was so rubbish. I don't even have to walk. Yeah, out a, a lot good. of fans might say that. Um, yeah. And, and I'd go along with it that it's quite difficult to remember anything from February, March onwards because. <laughs> <laughs> Like we a short podcast. Nothing, nothing like change. No, which they do merge. Again, they certainly merge, don't they? Yeah. Uh, they got and I guess one thing that's maybe is one of, I guess at least in some ways, you know, imagine being like a Cheltenham fan and having yeah. You know, oh, yeah. such a yeah, successful yeah. season in League Two and not or being Wickham. there. Yeah, Wickham being in Championship and not going to those away grounds. <laughs> so, yeah, at least we have small mercies, I guess. Uh, what, yeah. well, one thing that was a blessing was travelling, going to away games being able to go to a service station like I, I still got to go around the whole country like Middlesbrough Sunderland to Plymouth um, so that was a blessing yeah. in a way to actually get out you know. yeah you're legally allowed to drive during the periods when no one else technically was only, yeah. work, only for work purposes aren't they so um, there we go I've missed my trips around the country we've talked about that as well yeah. but um, let's let's wind back to last summer Ollie um, and yeah just take us through a little bit of what, what went on in pre-season Ollie to set the scene of where, where we were headed this season so yeah it's, it's funny to take us back quite a while ago um, with Sam Ricketts buying us an ice cream and a bottle of water and um, yeah we were um, we were explained that we were going to see some attacking vibrant football 
um, playing in a 4-3-3 <laughs> with Jason Cummings cutting in from the right flank. And then we had summer recruitment. And I did a table a while ago and I've put it into the agenda so you guys can see it of the summer recruitment. And I don't, I don't, we don't swear a lot on the podcast, but I think it's fair to say this was fucking awful. Um, so yep. Sarsic was a success. And I'd say probably Daniels, and uh, Daniels, the two Daniels and Miller didn't do too bad, even though Miller didn't play mm. a lot of minutes. Um, but when you look at the list, got High, Leon Clark, Fossey, Pugh, Zambaret, Tracy, Pike, three-year deal. Um, <laughs> it was scattergun. It was, yeah, we, we saw the effect of not having a head of recruitment here, didn't we, Lewis? The recruitment was not very good. Um, my opinion is that it's an obvious one, but you live and die by your recruitment, don't you, as a manager? Like, I mean, obviously, tactician's great, man management's great, leading from the, the change rooms and the sidelines, great. But if your recruitment is, isn't any good, then you've got nothing to work with, have you? No. Like, barring Steve Cottrell comes in and he's got nothing to work with for a couple of months and he can, he can work it with the shift in momentum. Yeah, the recruitment just didn't go well, did, did it at all. Uh, like you say, a, a couple couple worked, um, most didn't. The loan market failed miserably, really, which is probably a really key market for town, the loans. Mm-hmm. You know, get, get a couple right and you're kind of you're laughing, only Sarkic worked, really. And then I think I will point out when we get later on that Ricketts was unfortunate with losing the keeper to, to injury for his, you know, his whole of the start of the season. I think they'd have been a little bit better off without losing him to injury. But beyond that, yeah, the, the recruitment. I mean, Clark, you know, as a late one, as the goal scorer. What what, what can we say about that? A couple of injuries and, and nothing. I mean, I no. suppose he got Ricketts only win, didn't he? Um, in the last second at Wimbledon when Wimbledon were the better side. It's just that, you know, Charlie Daniels and Mark Pugh, that was strange, wasn't it? That was that was quite odd. Charlie Daniels worked, I suppose, as you say, but maybe not in the long term. Mm. Um, the lone youngsters didn't they come with promise, don't they? But didn't seem ready. Yeah, that I list. Think. There's too many projects on that list. I think that's the problem. You can have you can have a, one Josh Daniels and try and turn him into a proper football. You can't have a Josh Daniels, a Scott High, a Zamborek, a Tracy. You know, a Matt Miller coming over to England. You know, there's too many people you've got to get up to speed. And then you know the Dan, the Charlie Daniels, and the Mark Pugh signings we're borrowing from tomorrow to pay for today. They're only up until January. They're never going to stay that much longer. So then, you know, yeah, Fossey was another project. So pretty much 90% of the people you sign there, you, you've got to really work again. Yeah. They've all got to work. And it's it's really gambling on whether you can make it all work, plus ingratiate, you know, integrate them into the, the existing squad. It's just, it was it was too much. There wasn't enough, to quote Mickey Mellon's famous phrase, League One ready players. You know, you know what, yeah. I, was, I was about no, to DNA. say, I don't, I don't want to say League One ready, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> Uh, let, let's have a look at that list a second. Sorry, how how many of you know how many of that list played regularly? Well, if you think about it, previous seasons, good loan signings like Tyrese Campbell, that was a yeah. loan signing the season before, which was as you're saying, Mike League One ready. And mm. I think that's probably a really interesting thing for us to think about when we have this summer again. How many of them are projects? And you're right, I think it's a really good, really good summary of, of what a lot of those players were. Because even oh, even the ones that were League One quality, you Daniels, Pugh, Clark. They weren't league run ready in terms of fitness. None of them have played for over 12 months and clearly were coming to sort of, we were there pre-season to try and get a proper move in January. Um, so yeah, it just it, it just seemed like we were just being um, testing ground for a lot of other clubs. And actually, and Mike, got- Mike was spot on, sorry, Glenn, regards projects because, you know, Josh Daniels, Matt Miller, good different players who perhaps came good, but, you know, t- t- took so long. I mean, I don't think Matt Miller could play till November. I, don't, I think that was 
fitness. And I, I don't think he arrived as soon as they were hoping he would arrive. Um, Josh Daniels came as this tricky winger. Didn't really see wingers being used, did we? Um, and then he was sort of morphed into a wing back. So yeah, even the kind of the players with something there, you know, something that could could work for the club for the future, didn't didn't happen under Ricketts, did it? You know, he didn't get the the reaction or response he needed. Like you say, the integration then and now to start of the season, which is I guess a part of the reason of the early struggles. Yeah, I mean, it, it, interestingly, you know, the other thing about this is we call that the summer recruitment. But you're right, you know, Miller couldn't play till November. Obviously, Charlie Daniels and Mark Pugh were hugely late, you know, free transfers halfway through the season already starting, you know, that the whole thing just didn't come together at any kind of point. And, you know, Miller, Miller, by the time Miller, Daniels and Pugh started, they were almost like panic signings because we were already down, you know, hovering around the relegation zone. So, you know, the whole thing just didn't come together as he planned. And, and Ollie was right, you know, the conversations we had with Ricketts pre-season, it's quite interesting listening back to that podcast, Ollie. You know, he says a lot of things there that just didn't don't chime with me anymore and maybe just told us what we wanted to hear and we, we always had that as a, as a thought didn't we but it, it maybe just things didn't plan out as he was thinking at that point in time in August when we talked sort of Rick, what, what Ricketts said last summer about changing to, to being attacking in a sec but go back to the recruitment you know look at look at Pike I mean you know, giving a, a striker attacker like him three years deal he's clearly almost been signed as not the main man but you know for, <laughs> to give him such a deal he he's one of your main forward recruits you, you know so it was him Clark to add, to add to what Udo and, and Cummings who you know we saw Cummings on the right wing didn't we for a few games and then he he didn't get a go so you know your forwards just haven't worked have they I mean Pike got a bad injury and then hasn't been seen since um, Clark got a bad injury and hasn't been seen since I think you're all being a bit negative because you look at the championship playoffs now when our Brentford model kicked in that he was very confident we were going to bring in We'll probably be in the Premier League in about four years. So I think you've got to look long term here, lads. You've been a bit negative. <laughs> yeah, he said a lot of shit, didn't he? Just be brutally honest about it over the course of two years. But anyway, we haven't, we haven't got rid of Ricketts. We've got a long way to go before that happens on this review. But I, yeah, obviously we had a, a pre-season. There was a couple of decent results, a couple of poor results, but it wasn't anything really to, to get too excited about from what I can recall. Um, and then, yeah, we've split the season down, Ollie, haven't we, into six sort of com- composite parts, really. Um, and the first, which we'll, we'll talk about now, is almost sort of like the start of the season, the first seven or eight games, really, which were a, a sort of signpost to where we were heading. Um, obviously, that was uh, Middlesbrough in the Cup, um, which we can have a chat about. And then we had league games against Portsmouth, Northampton, Plymouth, Gillingham and Wimbledon and a couple of FLT trophy games, um, which, you know, didn't really give us too much of information. But yeah, I don't know. That, the start of the season obviously didn't win for three um, and then and then got a couple of better results um, in the Cups. Don't know, Mike, what were, you know, what were your feelings, you know, after that sort of 17th of October um, AFC Wimbledon win. Where, where were you thinking we were headed? Yeah, nowhere good. I just looking back at it, it's jarring. I mean, and you'll get onto the second part of this. It's jarring to see when you take the cups and the, the, or the FL trophies out of it, how he survived as long as he did. Like you say, you know, the the fact that we only picked up one one win in, you know, before October. Well, yeah, before the end of October is yeah, amazing. 13, and that it? win in the league, one win in thirteen, I think. Yeah, and that that win at Wimbledon was because Leon Clark didn't ignore his instructions and go and score a did. goal at the back post. <laughs> So even then, the, the one win he got was kind of by accident. Um, and I just remember the start of the season. I think we all went in and, um, you know, didn't Scott High score an absolute screamer um, early doors? And then that was like the high point of the first three months of the season. And I think it's just difficult to, without being there, to vent your frustrations. And I think everybody became very, very apathetic and very sort of nihilistic early doors. And like, oh, you know, this is sort of happening on screen. It's not happening in real life. And I think that, you know, when you look back, if we'd have been in the stadium, he might have been gone before the start of October, the way we were playing and the results we were getting. I think the pressure would have been on hangover from last year as well. Yeah, I think it, it was it was just a, a bit of a signpost that it wasn't going to end well for poor old Sam. Do you guys think 
um, you know, over lockdown and the summer last when he um, said, because I think the season before, they, they, they were very solid, weren't they? You know, played a system where it was essentially a five-man defence mm. you know, with Pierre at the heart of it and Ivan Sandel. And there was a lot of clean sheets and they, they kept score lines down, didn't they? But obviously the kind of ire and the angst was that it wasn't exciting. You know, fans mm-hmm. weren't seeing enough goals or entertainment. Which, which is fair. So from my understanding, there was, there was definitely a shift. Like he, I mean, again, I've reported it and I, I understand it. You know, that, that was a message from above, from the top, that it needs to be more entertaining and it needs to be better. So that's what they went with. I think Ricketts, I remember having conversations with him over pre-season and that where he was saying to me, we aren't going to keep as many clean sheets. Like we're going to become more open. We're going to become leakier. And obviously that happened. But, you know, you'd like to think it'd be counted and balanced by them. More entertaining football, the more goals, more chances. It kind of it's funny because that it was encapsulated in that Borough game, wasn't it? In the four three, uh, we're suddenly going to concede loads, but actually, we've shown we might score a few. There was a lovely goal in that, wasn't there? With loads of passes. Um, yeah, the pike goal. Pike goal was a nice yeah. goal, really well. I think that game freaked him out, Ollie. We talked about this back in the day. <laughs> like you know, it was almost like, well, this is what he told us we were going to do. And we watched that first stream. Me and you, Ollie, did the first podcast at the start of the season. It was like, my God, we've actually attempted to do what we're doing, and we played a championship team. We lost four three. Fair enough. We take that on the chin. Let's go and do that against Portsmouth. And then that first game of the season, that nil nil, was like the dullest, most boring opening game of the season. You thought, oh right, we're back. That's fine. Well, Ollie, Ollie might be able to tell me. I can't, I can't quite recall. Um, did did the season start? We started 4-3-3 and it, it was this time of the season there's a, a guy um, I found on Twitter who started doing all these pass maps and uh, I remember looking at the pass maps at the start of the season and Jason Cummings didn't make one forward pass in about three games <laughs> and if you're not making forward passes as a, as a winger or a, a right-sided striker you've got no chance and we were just for me I thought we looked toothless we didn't look like we were being coached and I thought we also we looked unfit, Glenn. We were something we commented mm-hmm. on, didn't we? You didn't look very fit. And we also had that comment a bit later on from Ipswich and the player who used to play for us when they kind of we got that message that we looked unfit. I think we, we looked definitely. unfit, yeah, straight out of pre-season. There's some guys there who were who were still trying to get up to speed and, and then the, you'd get Ricketts in his post-match saying, you know, you can't build fitness in the season. So we were on a bit of a loser then because if he's not made it in pre-season we, and he, he left so many of his signings late in the window, Never get up to speed before before the season, and then and then you're kind of chasing your tail after that. You're kind of always two steps behind everybody else who's done it properly. So, I think again, you could see we would retire towards the end of games. We concede late goals. We couldn't really, you know, we'd start out with a bit of invention. But I, I remember the, the pattern was always first 15 minutes looked like we were on top, miss a couple of good chances. Before half time, we'd start to fade. Come out second half, 10 minutes, we'd have a decent spell, and then we'd be hanging on towards the end of the game. And that kind of seemed to repeat itself, and that's a real indication that. Fitness is a problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Gillian won in the last minute, didn't they? In this little run, that was a that was a sign of that. We, we were kind of saying couldn't hold on. Um, the other thing I remember, I'll come back to you in a minute, Lewis. I think you want to talk about fitness. The thing I remember about this opening spell was all the keepers made an horrendous error, um, like one after another. There was obviously a Burgoyne at Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough, and I think it was Northampton that Sarkic air kicked the ball and they scored. And then Iliev came in at one point and made a, a big mistake in one of the cup games. And yeah, we were kind of worrying about goalkeepers, which actually ended up not being one of the main concerns this season, I suppose. I don't think goalkeepers were ideal this season. Like you know, I, I think Ricketts suffered for for Sarkic's injury. I think Sarkic is a good keeper, and I think yeah, Sam would have been slightly better off and, and got more results with with him in. Like you say, that there were mistakes. You know, obviously they obviously they didn't want to use Bergoin as number one. So that's why they brought in Iliev. Um, and and you know, 
that loan just didn't work either, did it? Mm. So, you know, you, you're struggling there. You should, you, it's the most important position on the pitch, isn't it? I think possibly barring your number nine, maybe. But yeah, you keep it. You know, you need, you need a solid keeper. And yeah. I was going to make a point. I think when, when it was about four, you know, with the fullbacks for a considerable period of the games, Marlon Fossey, who's never played a senior game in his life. And <laughs> Rick, Rick is saying he was having to learn on the job, you know, try and swim before you sink basically and then I think Scott Goldblum was on the other side wasn't he and I, I seem to remember him actually having an okay start to the season you know steady yep. but Scott Goldblum being just what he is you know he wasn't going to rip down the left for you it's not his game so even though Fossey was I suppose quite agile quite restricted in terms of fullbacks not really offering anything beyond the halfway line okay. so then, and in, in the in the formation we were playing it was important that was your width wasn't it because we were narrower the further up the pitch you went in the 4-3-3 yeah, because coming need to the fullbacks, uh, yeah, no. Off your, your natural whip, fizzy, and I suppose maybe it was Sean Morley on the other side. Uh, Sean was actually missing, wasn't he, for for a period? Yep. And again, uh, I remember having a conversation with Ricketts. You know, you, you're still paying for missing Morley. He's still, for whatever reason, the most dangerous attacker in terms of being able to run and take on a man. So when you're missing him from whatever it was, maybe September to maybe November or whatever, you're missing a bad part of it. And maybe maybe Town should have. Should have brought someone in who can 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 help cope with the loss of Wally, who's thirty three. You know, mm. and remembering coming back in the team in November around his two hundredth game and, and scoring that great goal at the start of MK Dons and, and stuff like that. You, whatever your views are on Wally, missing him is is a miss. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I would argue un, unquestionably. And that's 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 how good Sean Wally is. We'll we'll get onto him later, Wally. I still think he's underrated, not just by town, by the league. I think pe- people in I speak with people in football who've who think Sean Wall is one of the best players in the league, which is quite remarkable given he's 34 in the summer. Maybe we see him more and are frustrated by his set pieces or whatever, but he was a miss as well as Sarkic. But yeah, so many issues we've, we've talked about recruitment, fitness, trying to cope with a drastic change of mentality and shape. It, it was too much, wasn't it? It proved too much. And but it got worse after this opening run, Lewis, which we'll come to now. Because um, yeah, as Mike pointed out at the end of this run, obviously we, we won away at Wimbledon and Oh my gosh! Well, the season's kind of started. We've got we've got our first winning season in the league, and um, as Mike pointed out, he went mental at the players after the game. He'd, he'd been protecting them during that opening spell. We'd not been very good, and he really went at them. It seemed like from you know reading your articles in the paper, and he was just a bit critical of, of how we played in that game. Um, and then obviously we went into sort of part two of the season, which we called the death of Ricketts Ball, um, and we followed up that win with uh, four tremendously bad losses in a row. And this is this is where it kind of went off the rails, isn't it, Ollie? And um, I think we'll probably end up talking about this quite a bit because there's the whole debate, uh, Ollie, about did he go at the right time or should he have gone early? And this is within this section there we're, we're, before he gets sacked in November. But yeah, you know, the wheels came off here, Ollie, didn't they? Yeah, we did. We yeah, just continually losing, weren't we? So we lost to Rovers, lost to Rochdale, lost to Fleetwood. Um, mm. Teams that, you know, especially Rochdale and, and Bristol Rovers, games that were really key for us. Um, and I think Mike's right. You know, I remember me and you talking when we made, I made the term Ricketts Ball in January, I think it was 19. And in February, is it 19 or 20? I can't, no, yeah, 20. Um, February and January 20, we were really concerned about Ricketts. Obviously, we gave him a bit of benefit of the doubt for a new season. And then by now, you were really concerned. And then when we lost to Peterborough 5-1, that was, we thought, well, that was a perfect opportunity for the board to make a change. And I remember there was a conversation, a, a Twitter chat with me, you, Chris, and, and a couple of others. And then I remember messaging Lewis Cox saying, you know, are you going to the press conference today? And it was like 11 o'clock, like, oh, surely there's going to be an announcement today at 11. <laughs> and then 12 came along, we're like, well, surely there's going to be an announcement at 12. And then then Lewis Cox messaged saying he's going into the press conference. And we were like really deflated. And for me, that's a, a oh, real yeah. marker of <laughs> how 
I was convinced they were going to sack him then because we were dire and we, mm. we were never going to get any better. Well, it was just it was just on the eve of Burton, wasn't it? Did Burton follow Peterborough? Yeah, yeah. Burton was on the yeah. Tuesday, so we thought that you know we thought maybe they'd do something on the Monday, so sack the manager, and then yeah, like Tuesday would be whoever's in charge, and then they'll have then they'll be able to get someone else in. But the fact that they didn't, I think um, I can't remember who said it earlier on. I think fans saved him. I think if the fans had been in been in at home. Uh, maybe for the Rochdale game and the Rovers game, I think that would have turned up the heat. Just the the, the amount of vitriol I saw on the school run, jump bumping into all the dads and mums on the way home, who, who you know like Tan and every one of them, you know, I can't believe he's not gone. I can't believe he's not gone. If you'd have multiplied that by another, you know, three and a half thousand and stuck it in the meadow, and we were losing five one, no chance he's survived. Oh, unquestionably, yeah. yeah, I agree. You can you can name check Mr. Larkham at the Colum School where our children yeah, go. Mikey, I'd feeling, I'd yeah. often bump into him. He's a season ticket holder. He'd be like, I can't believe he's still in charge. So there we go. First, first shout out for Mr. Larkham. He's doing a great job. But yeah, I mean, that you're right, uh, Lewis, talking about that Burton game. It was a 1-1. You know, we'd lost four in a row and you were hoping we'd turn it around. Still only got a draw then. And it, the pressure didn't really get released all that much until we had the couple of cup wins, um, which was Cambridge and, and Crew. Um, one of them was a little bit of a struggle, wasn't it, until we got the second goal. And then the last three games were draw Swindon 3-3, Ipswich lost 2-1 and then the MK Dons game. So, you know, during that spell, um, no league wins in whatever it was, six or seven games there, I think. And it was it was fairly terminal. Personally, I agree with Ollie. I think he should have gone after Peterborough. But yeah, I don't, I don't know, Mike. What, what, what did you make of them last three games as well? I'll just jump in before Mike there. I remember hearing um, that there was a bit of a conversation after the Burton game. The pressure was proper yeah. ranked up after that. There was a conversation, um, yeah, with the senior members of the, of the, of the club and the manager. Um, and yeah, Burn for me was a real turning point. And I also hear that the players were really nervous before that game as well. Um, and I think having that goalkeeper and not having Sarsic in goal also was, I think, added to the nerves around this time. Yeah, I think I think credit to Roland. He does give his managers time, doesn't he? You know, he, you can never, you can you can say many things about the man, but he, he does back his managers and he is consistent. John, in his John Askey might argue. Well, you know, John Askey was a special case, wasn't he? I think we're no, going we got exact. It's fine. Again, point taken. That's fans in stadium, wasn't it? Yeah, so th- I, this whole run was just so bad, wasn't it, to be honest with you? I mean, you know, I, I'd look at those four games in a row and we'll, we'll probably finish off with just talking about Peterborough quickly. But, you know, we, we were right at the start of this run. I think we had a reasonable performance against Bristol Rovers, went on to lose 1-0. Um, Rochdale at home, they were the better team. And that was the one where, you know, even on the 24th of October, I remember fans mega kicking off after that game. Um, obviously, losing two games home back-to-back wasn't great. And then there was Fleetwood away, where obviously Ricketts went away with his master tactical master plan to play long ball in a, in a gale force wind, which obviously didn't end well. And then... You know, Lewis, I think, was talking, wanted to have a bit of a chat about Peterborough, but yeah, lost 5 1 to Peterborough, didn't we, with Vela getting a red card and, and the wheels falling off. And yeah, you want to say something about that game, uh, Lewis? Yeah, I, well, it was just a quick, really, the fact that, um, you know, Peterborough on, on October the 31st allowed my Halloween horror shows, um, puns in, in <laughs> you know, in, in headlines and introductions, which was, you know, the, the only saving grace of the whole day, I think. Oh, mm. That and the KFC over the road after the game. <laughs> uh, but you're right, like, obviously. When you're losing a fourth game in a row, you don't want it to be a 5-1, dear. And no. um, I think we were probably right to all expect a decision that day, that weekend. You know, I was shocked, like you guys say, that it wasn't about the manager leaving. Um, my personal opinion, I think I wrote this when Sam lost his job, was that it had been a long time coming. Unfortunately, his league record as a whole, you know, for, over the whole period. Like, we had some fantastic days in the Cups, didn't we? Like, fantastic. Um, fourth round, tw- two seasons in a row is... Incredible going, really, isn't it? And mm. I think that's probably what saved him. His cup record over the two seasons he was in charge, I think he would have got a lot 
a harder time had we not got you know that Liverpool game and all that the season before. And then he, every, every time he seemed on the verge of disaster with us, he'd pick up a win in the FA Cup or the EFL, and he just it put a, a green on his record where it was mostly reds, you know, and it, it kind of it almost made it look better than it was. Um, well, Mark, the, think, Mark, yeah, the league the league record around Liverpool was was horrific, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. It was like nine or ten without a, a league win or even yeah. more, maybe. Yeah, you take out his cup record though, and I would love to know what his win percentage is without cup games. It must be absolutely abysmal. It is, Mike. It is very abysmal. And Ollie, I remember you. You probably still stick into this that you were not having those cup wins, the, the Cambridge and Crew Cup wins. You weren't having them at all this time, were you? No, not at all. That's why I always say, you know, someone says, oh yeah, you know, such and such has scored this many goals a season, but yeah, scoring a hat trick against a non-league team or whatever, you know, in the in the cup really doesn't count. So for me, league have, records. Yeah, you can't have trophy wins either, really, can you? Yes, they're wins, no. but what, what was it? Newcastle's kids. Newcastle under twenty one, so they don't even have an academy. No, it, was <laughs> Bol- Bol- it was basically Bolton's twenty ones as well, wasn't it? From, from uh, the- oh, of course, yeah. You can't even beat what's in front of you. But doesn't count for no. a win. And just talking about league games, actually, in Ricketts and going to Mike's comment. So, you know, me, you know me, I love a points per game stat. So, over the course of his whole time in the league, Ricketts had 1.07. And we all know that one point per game is basically relegation form. So, yeah, first season 1.08, where he just survived. Obviously, the season that was cut short, 1.2. But I don't believe that we would have finished 15th in that season, not for a second. No. And then no in this season, he had he had 13 games and 0.69 points per game, which is just horrific. So, yeah, his win percentage, his win ratio was was awful. And he, I think you're right, you said, it was the FA Cup runs that kind of um, kind of glossed over it. And Sam Ricketts must be very good at talking. He did have, we had a nice chat with him. Do you think maybe his, his, his ability to talk quite well and he seemed quite, you know, a modern coach and he was the right age and he played Premier League football international... Mike, do you think that saved him a bit longer than maybe maybe if he'd have been a bit brasher or a bit of a John Askey kind of um, character? Yeah, I think he was probably quite easy to like. He seemed like a nice bloke. Um, I think we've all met people like that in, in our own working lives. You talk a really good game. You say they're going to do this, that and the other and the net result is pretty much zero. Um, and I think he's just a perfect example of that in football. You know, he's got all the all the buzzwords and the catchphrases. He can tell you he's going to emulate Brentford. He's going to tell you we're going to play an overlapping, overlapping centre-half. He's going to tell you we're going to be this dynamic you know, inside forwards, probably plays a bit too much football manager in his spare time, but his ability to transfer those ideas into reality, into performance and into points is clearly he's just not able to do it. And whether it's, whether he's just not had enough experience, whether he's not learned enough lessons from over-promising and under-delivering, um, I think maybe he needs to go back to the Wrexham level, pick up some more experience, deal with the day-to-day a bit longer, understand that, you know, recruitment doesn't extend to the end of his phone book and and maybe take some of these lessons and, and develop himself because he clearly has the passion for it and he clearly has some good ideas, but maybe the delivery needs some work. Fair. For those reasons, uh, Mike said in the manager's favour in terms of how he is, his persona and that, I think my taking from it was that the club really wanted him to succeed, you know, and, and perhaps that was a part of why he got as long as he did, you know, give him every chance. The manager okay. record was not very good, was it? Let's be honest, you know, we, we do talk about this, you know, um, you know, we had Askey. Obviously, Paul Hurst did well. We had John Askey. Did you feel like Glenn maybe that you know they couldn't afford another failed manager? A little bit, yeah. The Askey thing has definitely definitely stung the club, didn't it? We talked about that quite quite a few times, and um, you know maybe that reflected how we weren't looking to make any moves towards the end of last season and over the summer, despite you know a, a season and a half of struggle. Really, I think that you know when it came, it was a little bit too late for me, but only by maybe six or seven games. Um, 
I could I could get the logic behind giving him the start of the season. I think we talked about that quite a long long time. But yeah, the Asky thing definitely stung Roland. It's the first time he's ever had to pull the trigger in a, in a really short period of time with any of the managers he's had. And I think you know we'll, we'll be seeing uh, a while until Cottrell's in, in any kind of trouble. I think. But yeah, it, it is interesting because eventually it did come. You know, we're, we're getting towards the end of it now, and then 24th of November, MK Don's away, and again another one for Lewis really here. You know, Town go two 0 up. Everything's looking fantastic. Uh, Wally and Pugh have scored. We've got we've got two wingers having scored. What's what's the problem here? And then we are awful at the back at the end of that game and end up drawing two two. And on the day, I suppose in the stadium, you know, looking at the players, looking at Ricketts, did you did you know that was done? Yeah, well, yeah. It felt obviously we had that interview at the end of the game, didn't we? Mm. When um, you know Sam was maybe a little bit sharp with Stu um, mm. on the radio, and you you wondered. Well, this period and I suppose the game and the end of it ties into a point I was just going to make quickly um, at the start of the pod we mentioned sort of fitness which I'd go along with I'd agree but a big theme from that point of the season that we haven't really touched on yet they could not get over the line could they results um, oh. one before the first win at Wimbledon Gillingham at home and a one-up um, I had to remind myself of this one the other day Brad Walker scored really early a header I think and it was a game Jordan Graham headed in a corner right at the end or something that denied town their first win. That was a really big one, that because, you know, I remember afterwards they were so deflated. They thought the season was going to start it, you know, home win against a pretty much a rival, Gillingham, and they couldn't get it over the line. Could no. Fitness, yes, but game management, perhaps confidence, belief, and know-how how to win a game. I remember saying um, a lot at the start of the season, it, you know, it felt like watching this, this team just didn't know how to win a game because it hadn't happened and they they, they kept throwing it away. Um, you know, Which links nicely to Ipswich, the Ipswich but, game where we did a live pod yeah. and we were and it was one all and I said we're going to lose this and then we did. You just <laughs> had no faith in this team, did yeah, you, Lewis? Were, you were, just seemed fragile. And not saying that they went into games thinking they weren't going to win, but you know, muscle memory during games and that confidence in getting over the line and being having being able to keep strikers out in defence and the goalkeeper and being able to get that other goal. You know, it just hadn't been happening at it. And and this period, you know, Swindon at home, I mean, how bad is Swindon? You know, town with three one up, three one. certainly. Possibly two, possibly two nil up as well. Mm. Certainly three one up. Yeah. God, how how on earth did they and I remember in that one just fans watching saying, How deep are we dropping later yeah. on? That's and what I was gonna say. I, I, I suppose we don't know the answer to this, but was the manager telling them to do that? I, I don't think he was, no, really. No. I don't think he would. You know, he he knows, Sam Ricketts knows the game better than all of us. We see it year after year at the town. Like, it's it's absolutely classic town behaviour. Get yeah. up in a game, legs are starting to go out of you, not confident you're going to win the game. You drop deeper and deeper and deeper. And half the time, it's it, it kind of almost irrelevant who the manager is. You'll see the manager on the touchline, get out, push them up the pitch. But because the confidence isn't there and because yeah. you, they almost don't know how to see out a game, typically under Askey, Mellon, you can remember at the end of his tenure happening, you know, it's it's that classic drop deeper, drop deeper, invite more and more and more pressure. Then you just become this sort of 10-man defending unit. You inevitably concede a goal late on because you just can't keep the ball out forever. Um, and it was really evident under under Ricketts that he couldn't he couldn't turn the tide in that, you know, last 20 minute, you know, mega defend. Um, and it was almost like the players just choose to do it themselves. It wasn't exactly a plan, I don't think. You're both completely right. You know, if you look at those last three games, you, Lewis is right. We conceded the last kick of the game against Swindon, I think 96. We conceded the, le- uh, the winner from Ipswich on 97 minutes, which was the last kick of the game, basically. And then a very great goal against MK Dons. I think by MK Dons, they were shot, weren't they? I remember watching that stream thinking, we just, you know, you're completely right. You can't hold on to games. And as I say, that the, the, the three games in a row were probably very 
symptomatic of all of Ricketts' era, really, about this, the same issues at the end of games. But it's perhaps could... quite poetic that his final game, MK Dons, you know, you, you tune it up at half time or just after yep. half time, you know, it, wow. you, you kind of think in a different world, Town could have beat Swindon 3 1. Town could have got a win or a point at Ipswich. Town could have won away at MK Dons. And then right now you think, gosh, you know, would would Ricketts have stayed in his job? Would he have? Would the, would the season have turned? You know, would, how, how would it have finished? Um, for the record, I'll, we'll get on to obviously Ricketts losing his job at the moment. Town were going nowhere but down. Were they? Yeah. yeah. I was going to say that sort of um, that sort of pattern that was happening in the end of games rolls back to recruitment, doesn't it? Lots of young lads, inexperienced in football, don't know how to see a game out, don't know how to react when things start going badly. <clears throat> and probably some of the experienced pros around them weren't weren't picking up the slack enough. You know, you talk about people like Goldborn and Norburn, they were missing with periods with injury, you know, people you'd have hoped to drag us through. Edwards wasn't up to speed. You know, Vela was, again, he was a relatively new player coming up to speed. And there wasn't a lot of those guys around, apart from Aaron Pierre, but he must have been looking around him, looking for somebody to help him out, really. Um, so, yeah, it all goes back to the weren't again. good. Were they no. Defensively, town were not good in that period. Pierre, who's a great, great player, was below his standards. Ebanks Landell, the same. You know, Williams are gone, yeah. and they can't be digging other players out for not performing because they're not performing. So it's kind of a, a self-defeating cycle, almost, isn't it? And that was it. He was gone anyway at the end of that game. That was that was uh, was it. I can't remember. It was the Monday the morning, day. wasn't it? The next, next, yeah, the next, next day, Sunday, right, lunch, yeah. lunch next day, Wednesday. Yeah. He'd, he'd gone, and then yeah, we were looking for a new manager, and something happened that didn't happen in the last couple of managerial changes. Ollie, we got a new manager very quickly for once. And there's a good place to leave uh, the first part of our end of season review um, at the moment that Sam Ricketts left the football club. So, uh, yeah, I'll be joined by Ollie, uh, Mike and Lewis again uh, in a couple of days. We'll put the second part out and we start to look at the good part of the season where Steve Cottrell came in and things started to turn around. So, uh, yeah, join us in a couple of days uh, for the second part of the end of season review. (laughs) 